You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door-to-door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years... I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. Florida. 
with my sexy, amazing bride. And as always, when I'm out, I want to let you know that we're still putting out episodes, such as today's episode with my new friend, Steve Adcock. You know him as Steve on Speed on Twitter. He became a millionaire before he was 30, and he teaches people how to become financially free. He's been featured on Market Watch, Forbes, Business Insider, CNBC, and Vice. An incredibly insightful guy. He's giving a lot of information on how people can leverage their skills and understand their own market value so that way they can go ahead and lead fulfilling careers where they're happy and they're able to impact the lives of themselves, their family, and their families and others. Uh, ironically, and I will announce this later in the next couple of weeks, I have actually accepted a brand new position at a new company doing something that I did not think I would be able to do career-wise before I hit 30. Um, it, it's, it's a remarkable opportunity doing something I've always wanted to do. It, it's, it's an amazing opportunity that I was blessed to receive. And ironically, it has to do a little bit with today's episode. But what's crazy is I accepted this new job an hour after recording with Steve. So I'll give you a little bit of a hint there. Everything we talk about in today's episode about how to assess your market value and you know leave an environment where you're not really happy and go somewhere where you're making the money you want, doing the things you want to do, all that kind of tied into what was going on with me at the time. And I know it happens with uh, quite a few of you, especially a few of my coaching clients who are trying to find that next career opportunity. So sit back, relax. You're going to want to take a lot of notes in this episode. And I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Steven, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on. As I was telling you before the show, you know, we've been uh, trying to schedule this for a while. I've been following your Twitter advice for uh, about four or five months now, and I find it incredibly insightful. And the reason why I wanted to go ahead and bring you on today and talk about uh, this is, you know, the, the, the topic of today's episode is basically when do you move and when do you stay loyal to a company? I think right now, especially for a lot of people in the marketplace, especially among those who have taken part in the great resignation the last year and a half, uh, a lot of people are looking at opportunities, but they're also looking at a lot of challenges. The, the tweet basically was like, listen, you could stay at the same company for multiple years and you can get maybe a two to three percent raise annually minimum if you're still doing a good job or you can really understand how leverage your skills where you stand amongst your competitors and your peers in the marketplace and you can move around and you can 10x that in a couple of years if you just know what your worth is and how you can provide value to people so I'm I'm curious, like wh- where is the line between staying where you're at and sticking with the security and jumping around? Because I'm I'm 27. I was told you jump around a lot. Employers are gonna look down on you, but I'm you know I'm I'm part of a generation of people where it's at, like at least for me, I've jumped around jobs every you know one to two years just based off how things have gotten. The lockdown spurred that. So let's just go ahead and start from there. Where's that boundary? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because it really depends on on you and your industry and also just the job that your your job sector and what things are looking like. Right now, I mean it's never been a better um environment to start looking around at some of your other options. Um I think there's a fine line here though. In my case, I worked 15 years in information technology before I quit. Um, And I moved around every three to four years. 
And every single time I moved, I got like a 15 to 20% raise. That's on top of just the regular cost of living raises that, that I would get. And that really, really helped to continually boost my salary. I got to expand my network because I was now working with, with new people and new software packages, no new software, no new processes. Everything was new. And I got exposure to all of these things that just made me a more valuable employee, a more valuable person. So I think the benefits to moving companies relatively often is not just money, even though that is a big one, but it's also expanding your network, expanding your experience, expanding your your, your skills. Um, and that makes you way, way more valuable in the future. Um, one of the one of the primary critiques I hear of this strategy is well, if you have 20 different jobs on your resume and you apply to some new job, they're going to take a look at you and go, well, he's this guy's probably going to bail. I'm not going to hire him. And I think there is some validity to that, but there there isn't there is not any like hard and fast rules like you can't move more than once a year or twice a year or whatever. You really have to get a feel for this, I think, yourself and just try try some things and see what works for you. I was a hiring manager for the last five years of my career. And I can confirm that if I saw somebody who was moving every freaking year, then you know what? That person's probably not going to look all that big to me or like all, all that valuable to me because employee turnovers expensive for many businesses in the ramp up process. I mean, that's time and money. Um, so yeah, if, if I thought that someone was just going to bail in a year, quite honestly, I probably wouldn't have hired that that person. Um, so there is a balance, but it's really going to depend on you and your and and the and the sector that you work in. Um, for me in IT, I found three to four years was like that perfect middle ground. Um, it sounds like for you, you you're you might you might think that moving around could be a, a, a little bit more um, accepted in your industry, um, which is, which is perfectly fine. I mean, there's, yeah, there's so certainly I'm, nothing wrong with that. I, I'm in, I'm in digital marketing. And, you know, when, when I say that broadly, I mean, it, it basically for a lot of people, it brings in, um, you know, social media, email marketing, pay-per-click yeah. ads and that type of stuff. So it, it's an industry where a lot of responsibility has been consolidated into a few people who take on a big role like that. And depending yeah. on, you know, where you're at, I, I had a, I had my start in media, you know, there, there's a ceiling to that capability. I mean, there's a ceiling for how much you go with that. And I also was in the nonprofit sector and there's a ceiling for your potential in the nonprofit sector. So it becomes a situation where, at least for me, and I'm glad you brought up the networking component. Um, I, I realized that, you know, I could continue to get those small raises annually or, I could move. And it wasn't always the easiest decision. It was basically, am I going to do the things and accomplish the things that I need to do to advance as a professional? Because people move around. And I think the last couple of years, it became very obvious because with, with the lockdowns, you know, at least when I was at the Washington Times, you know, the, the whole the whole media industry was hit. We were a newspaper with an online component. We made about $30 million from, um, from just the classified ads alone. We're not even counting website traffic. We're not even counting, uh, you know, That's subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, t- take into account, it's also in the Virginia, D.C. Beltway area. So, I mean, we, we were very lucky with that. So then when that, 
you know, kind of collapsed in 2020, it, it became, you know, more like, okay, we need to go ahead and double down the digital. Well, you can only get so far with that in a career and in an environment where when they're also cutting your salary as they did, you, you really have to question, you know, is this worth it? I think I think that's you know one of the big details because a lot of businesses, regardless of industry, uh, they understand the need for a digital marketer. They kind of understand what digital really is, but it still is a relatively young industry. Um, you know, when I was starting by doing uh, you know managing Facebook accounts and stuff in 2015, 2016, that was still something that a lot of businesses were like, you know, are we gonna pay somebody to manage our account? Are we gonna pay somebody to run our ads? I can do it. I have a Facebook. So it's it's weird because it's it's this culmination of events that impact the major economy. The fact that it's still kind of a you know one role within a larger disruptive tech sector, and businesses just don't always know what to give these people. I've, I've always seen it as if I can go somewhere else and do something big and it can help me expand those opportunities, take full advantage of it. But, you know, it gets to a point where they're just like, you know, you've done the most you can do. We give you a good salary. Why should we give you more? Yeah, there is a ceiling with a lot of companies and a lot of people hit it quicker than they think. And that's a very strange thing to, to think about. It's a strange concept. But I mean, with bigger companies, I think you have a little bit more flexibility because you can move around within the company, like different divisions or whatever, but stay in the same company. And oftentimes that's pretty easy to do. And it's almost like switching jobs, even though the company that you work for is the same, the people that you're working for is different. Your projects are different. Everything is different, even though it's the same company. But how, how much do you think workplace culture has to do with it, though? Because um, th there were several surveys put out by uh, Ken Coleman from the Dave Ramsey Network, where you know people are want people want to work remote now. People maybe want to work hybrid. Maybe they want to be contractors. I mean, we're we're starting to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations about how the workplace actually uh, figures into not only our professional life but how we feel about where we're working personally. Yeah, if there's anything good that came out of the pandemic. I know this is strange to say, but if there was anything good, it was challenging the way that we do business on a day-to-day -day basis, just forcing people to come into an office just to justify the cost of the real estate. It really seemed like it, it was it was getting to that point. And like leaving for a better even whether it's work like work life balance or more work flexibility to work from home. I, I worked from home as well. I could not fathom working in an office again after working from home. It's not going to work for everybody because you might have distractions at home with a spouse and kids or whatever. But for me, it was it was a beautiful way to get work done. And quite frankly, I was way more productive when I was in my element at home, not in a cubicle, not in some drab office with coworkers coming by, asking you questions about an email they just sent 20 seconds ago. You, you know how it goes. Um, there, I think there's a lot of value to that. And those jobs are continuing to increase in numbers, but quite frankly, we're just not there yet. But I really do like the trend that we're seeing. I mean, Twitter for, uh, is a good example of basically you could always work from home, every single employee. And a lot of other companies are doing that to some degree. They're really starting to, to, to open the doors figuratively and literally literally uh to remote work options um and if you know what if switching companies is gonna i mean if that's what you have to do to find a really good 
balance with the hours that you work and the environment that you work in, I think that's all the more reason to, to go ahead and do that. Um, everybody wants a work from home job though, or at least a, a lot of people do. So those jobs can be competitive. Um, but in my, in my opinion, that's all the more reason to switch companies a little bit more often than you might be comfortable with because you really start to expand your skills and your, your worth increases exponentially. And that is going to set you up to apply for these jobs with more flexibility because their standards tend to be a, a little bit higher because you have that, that more flexible work option. So, so let's kind of break it down for people who are in a position where they, they've been at the same company for, let's say, you know, two years. They like it, but they're kind of getting in this mundane process where it's starting to feel routine and that they're looking around and they're like, you know, I could, I could get more elsewhere. At what point do you think a person should really consider, you know, getting back in the job market and job hopping? And what are some of the questions that, you know, you as a hiring manager would ask that person if you see if this person has a history of doing that, you know, like, let's say, you know, three, four times within the past decade? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with three times in the last decade. But uh, but again, like I said before, it's really going to depend on, on, on you and your sector. But in terms of when to start looking around, I think it's healthy to always, always keep your keep at least your eye on what's available out there because you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you probably don't want to leave your job six months after taking it because something better came, came down the line. But quite frankly, if you do that once... Is it going to end your career? Probably not. Um, but I, if you've worked at the same job for more than, I would say, at least a year and a half, two years, and you don't feel energized, like there's something, you feel like there's something missing, maybe you've reached your limit, or it's not quite what you thought it was going to be, I think it's very, very healthy and responsible and advantageous to start looking around, just see what's out there. Even if it's not companies in your city, if they're uh, if they're remote companies, or I mean that's that's the easiest way to go, I, I guess. If you wanted to work for somebody else, but I mean you could always consider moving too. Um, but I think that feeling really comes organically. For me, I loved daily routine, but I did not like long term routine. So after two two and a half years, man, I was getting itchy to start to, to just do something else, to see something else, more different work, different coworkers, different bosses. I really liked to continue to switch things up. So I am not very um, risk averse when it comes to switching companies. Um, but to a lot of people, that's really scary because you might have a good job and it pays well. And just moving on to something else, I mean, yeah, it might be better, but you're comfortable where you are. And maybe you like that comfort. And there's not, I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if you look a little bit further into your, into your career, that, that time horizon, those goals that you're setting for yourself, two years, five years, 10 years down the line, really be honest with yourself. Mesh those goals, match them up with your current employer. If you don't think that you're going to get there, I think you really do have to start looking now. And just because you're looking doesn't mean you have to move next week or next month or even next year. But understanding what's available out there gives you a better understanding of the sector that you work in. And maybe 
maybe if even if you like where you work, you see all these other jobs out there for the exact same position you work, but they're paying you more than you're paying now, you can take some of those raw numbers, go into your current boss at your current employer, show them some of these, you know, the, the options that you have, and maybe you can at least get an out of cycle raise at your current place without actually having to move jobs. So I think there's a lot of benefits of at least looking around to get an idea for what's available out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I've primarily been in the in in the tech space as well as the nonprofit sector. And I'd say a majority of my listeners are are in either, you know, they're either at a tech startup somewhere or they're working for like an advocacy group nonprofit. And the one thing I see a lot about those individuals is they usually they, they usually kind of fit into the same type of stereotype. They're college educated. They were probably making 60K out of college, assuming they went into a you know, digital marketing, digital advertising role. And they jumped into these tech startups or nonprofit one because of the prestige that goes with a nonprofit advocacy group. You know, people like to be associated with a brand that looks like it's kinder, what have you. Right. And the tech startup space, people have just, you know, especially millennials, they've grown up thinking, Oh, if I can get something that's based out of Texas or California or New York, it's just going to be the next big moneymaker. And I'll be a millionaire overnight. The, while there are some stories like that, the one thing that I like to warn a lot of young people who are especially leaving undergrad now and trying to seek those jobs is that the turnover rates are incredibly high. In in the tech space, you're dealing with just rapid decision-making, and usually it's within a very small company of maybe five to 10 people. Uh, HR doesn't exist. None of those things are really there because it's, it's just the culture of it. And, and same goes for nonprofits. You usually have a lot of people that do a lot of work to get things built up and then they get burned out and then they see colleagues in the private sector excelling, you know, salary wise and career wise at a much more rapid pace. And they're just looking around thinking, okay, like how long do I do this until I can go ahead and start making some real money? And that's where, that's where I've been. We we were talking, um, you know, offline and I recently left my nonprofit job because I really started to evaluate those things. What are the things I'm concerned about? What are the situations that have led to this decision? Do I see myself being here in a year doing the exact same thing, or am I doing less or more? And after I asked those questions, that was when I began looking at other jobs. And I realized that if I went and worked for some other private sector company, I could be making five to 15 grand more doing less work. Instead of doing the job of five people in one role, I could just get paid to do more of one specific thing. And it got to the point where it's like, how long, how how long do I kind of stick with that before it's like, okay, like, am I just loyal to these people because I like them? Or do I just want to stay here because I just feel comfortable here? Yeah. Company loyalty is, is, I hesitate to use the word toxic, but it really is close to that. I mean, if things if things go downhill for the company, it really doesn't matter how loyal you have been to them. They're going to do what's in their best interest. If they have to start cutting some of their staff, they're going to do it, and you might be on that chopping block. And I mean, the the other side of the coin really applies here. You have to do as the employee have to do what's in your best interest as well. I like to say, I work for money. If you want loyalty get a dog. It's just that simple or hire a dog. I am, I am in this first and foremost to 
earn an income and build wealth because that's going to be what's what's in my best interest and the best interest of my family to achieve financial freedom and financial independence as quickly as I possibly can. I am not in this to be loyal to a company. Now, that probably sounds a little bit I don't know, maybe maybe like I have a bad attitude or something. And you can take this too far. I mean, if you're just in it for the money, you probably will, like you were talking about before, burn yourself out at some of these companies, especially if you're like the financial industry. Boy, they just want blood. You are going to, you are really going to work 12, 15 hours a day. Sounds sometimes. like a great time. I know, right? You get paid well, but I mean, how much is your time worth? How much is your life worth? In IT for me, Boy, you get you get paid well, but it drained the life out of me. I I always did the best job I possibly could, but I was never loyal. I went to the company that was going to provide the the best benefits to me and my family because that that should always be your number one priority. It, it, I I feel. I, I feel good hearing that because that kind of justifies a lot of thoughts that have been going through my head in the situation. When I left the Washington Times, and I've I've been public about it, and I still like them as a as as a company. But I mean, I wanted to stay, and I said this during my exit interview. It's like I wanted to stay. The problem is, you cut everyone's salary ten percent. You said it was going to be for a couple months, and six months later, here we're at, and I'm doing more yep. work. It has to get to the point where it's like my life is not better because I'm working here. And when I left, I, I left and I felt almost ostracized from some coworkers I felt were my friends. And then I had to really ask myself, it's like, I'm doing what's best for me. And this was a hard decision. And if they don't appreciate that, well, then they weren't really my friends to begin with. And I yep. think certain, you know, wor- workplace culture habits, you know, like that, like that saying, oh, well, you know, we're a family here in the office. no, I've never, I've never liked that. It's a social conditioning in the American workplace as I've traveled the world. And I've, I've heard people talk about things like that. It doesn't exist here. It's almost like you live and die by your desk. And I, I, I don't understand that. I understand. Well, I, I do get why that type of stuff is in place, but it, it's meant to keep you there and think about somebody else's interest versus yours. And the thing is, if they have to make cuts, they're not going to care about your next move. They're going to cut you and they'll move on the next day and still show up and collect the paycheck. Yep. It, it, it always happens that way. I've seen it time and time again. I mean, company loyalty can only go, go so far. Always, you know, regardless of who you work for, always do the best job you possibly can try to help the company. I mean, that's just, that's just proper work ethic. It, it, at least in my opinion, just do the best you can. But quite frankly, you owe no loyalty to that company. And whenever I hear stories like like what what you had said at the Washington Times, where they cut you know, the staff salaries by ten percent, you know, part of me thinks that some companies do that just to see who falls out. Like they want to get rid of some staff, but they don't. Quite frankly, they don't want to go through the the. Um, the process of and the liability of firing people, they'll just make it a little bit less fun to work there, and people will just naturally leave on their own. It, it, that pro, that problem just kind of takes care of itself. So, if, if especially if you think about it that way, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Whenever something doesn't make sense to you, especially if your current employer starts reducing your benefits or reducing your salary, I mean that's like that's a glaring like a siren. That is that is absolutely the time where you really have to survey 
um, whether working for that particular company is in your best interest. Sometimes it will be, but quite frankly, a lot of times that answer is going to be no. It's going to be no. And it and it comes down to like where where is that boundary? And I mean, I mean, going back a few steps earlier to the discussion regarding like you know when it when when should you leave? Is leaving too often an issue? You know, one thing that I had to work with uh, an accountability coach on was as I was kind of doing this, I switched I switched jobs three times in three years. One was because of the salary cut. The other mm-hmm. one was because of a massive leadership change, and the third one was just because I I was in an environment where it's like this is this is not going to work. I'm seeing a lot of office red flags. So as I was kind of going through my resume, as I was getting my LinkedIn and everything else set up, the big thing that he wanted me to try and focus on was like, listen, you, they're, they're going to notice this and they're going to ask you why. And you have to be honest about it. But the big thing that you can do to aid yourself in, your, in, the, in arguing the case for you is to talk about the value you brought in the time you were there. What were some things that exist now that did not exist when you were there? What are accomplishments that they made that were thanks to you that they weren't able to go ahead and uh, boast about prior to you. If you can go ahead and provide uh, actual case studies of real value and impacts you made at these organizations, they're more likely going to want to take a chance on you than if you just kind of coasted by and you left because it was inconvenient. And I think a lot of people look at that and they're thinking, well, you know, maybe I haven't. And maybe you haven't, but you have to at least ask that question because if you haven't, then that's going to be a very uncomfortable question when that employer is like, are you, are you just going to come here and coast and then leave and coast there? Yeah, exactly. And if, if you're, if you're um, concerned about that, like you, you may have left a few times in, in the recent past and you're applying for a new job. You could even cover that in your cover letter. If you submit one with, with your resume, just, just get out in front of it and address it and explain yourself right off the bat. Because like you said, the hiring manager is going to notice that. But good employers want strong employees. And those employees who can speak confidently about why they're leaving their previous jobs because it was not in their best interest, because management was toxic or the workplace was toxic or the or maybe you are expected to do, you know, 50% more work for no additional money. Those are positive attributes, quite frankly. A good company isn't going to look down on you for doing those things. And if they do, you don't want to work there because they're probably going to ask you to do those things and expect you to just say yes with absolutely no additional compensation without leaving. They are going to expect that. So a good, a strong employer wants a strong employee. And if you are prepared to talk about those things in a very confident way, like, like you were, um, I think that's going to go a long way to showing that yes, in the past you've left a few times, but there was a good reason for that. And, and you know, what's in your best interest. You are a strong, confident person. That's going to show in the work that you do and how you interact with your coworkers um, in a positive way in, in the office. And that's always, that's always a great thing. So let's go ahead and, uh, Get ready to wrap things up. I want to go ahead and bring probably the, the giant, you know, like awkward elephant in the room. It's <laughs> it's discussing salary. I actually filled out a, a job application the other day. I've, I've filled out many over the years, and I have not seen one like this where they actually wanted my previous work history, but they asked me what my starting and final salary was, and. One that that I felt a little bit weird because I'm like, oh, now I have to be really honest because what if they yeah. find out? So what I, if they, I, yeah, 
And I don't want to lie. I, I know I know somebody who's in the in the construction world, and he actually asks for pay stubs after you tell him what you made. And if he caught you lying, he'd be like, "Well, why'd you why'd you start this off by lying to me? I was mm-hmm. going to give you more money, but like, why'd you <laughs> lie about it?" And, and I and I find that to to be the case. I, I know some individuals who like hopscotch between jobs, and it was purely because of the salary increases. They they're mm-hmm. smart, talented individuals, but that became something that was very apparent near his last job, where he didn't quite negotiate where he wanted because they kind of caught him there, and he was like, "Well, I'd rather work here than keep looking." Um, you know, as, as people are looking for those opportunities, when is, when is the time to make that jump in the negotiation? That's not just a few thousand dollar difference, but maybe a five, $10,000 increase over what you were getting previously, assuming that you're doing something similar to the same role, but with another company. Yeah, I am always, I always err on the side of being honest. I have heard stories where people will just artificially inflate their previous salary and then ask for more than that just to get more money. But as you said, there's always going to be uh, the risk of them finding out like they maybe they call the the HR department in, in the other company and they, they find out. And you, you don't want to start that way. You don't want to start off in, in a lie. I would just be honest with your if, if they ask you your previous salary, I would be honest with that, but I would also be honest and confident with the salary that you want here. Because I think during the negotiation, and quite frankly, when you first get offered a job, that is the perfect opportunity to get more money. Do not fall into the trap, and too many people do this, do not fall into the trap of just accepting what they offer you, thinking that you will be able to negotiate more raises in the future, these out-of-cycle raises, because that's way more difficult than you would probably think. So when you first get hired, that is that is the best, the single best opportunity to ask for more money. But I think if you are confident with your number, even if it's $20,000 more than you were making before, you can say, yeah, I, I was only making 80000 in my last job and I want 100000 here. But that's because I was doing almost the exact same thing in my previous job and I was not being paid fairly. I was not being compensated for the work that I was doing. I was doing a $100,000 a year job at an $80,000 a year salary. So coming here, I want a $100,000 salary for a $100,000 job. I think it can be it can be very very easy and straightforward to argue for these things, especially if you prove to your future employer that you were doing the job of somebody making that money anyway, but you just weren't making that money. And that is part of the reason why you're looking looking for another job opportunity. I, th- I think most, again, most good employers are going to respect that because when an employer underpays their employees, they're not going to do a very good job. They're not going to be very happy with their job. They're going to come into the office mopey and that just infects the entire office. And that's not what good good employers want. They want employees that are happy, that are paid well, that are doing well, and that in in turn is going to make everybody else around them smile more and do a better job. That's what I'd say there. Yeah. I think sometimes that that often gets ignored at the one tech startup I worked at, which was based out of Nevada. um, You know, we, we have fully remote workforce other than the the full stack developers and the, and the software engineers and everyone, they, they were, they were at the one office location we had. So as we were trying to hire people um, you know, 
in, in all 50 states. And I was looking at resumes. At one point, I was basically told, listen, you have a, you, at the salary range for like an executive assistant for this position in this one department is between like, you know, 40 and 70K, assuming. I'm just throwing those numbers out. And I was told by, you know, my employer at the time, try and get them as low as possible. <laughs> and I mean, this this person was, was a smart guy. He he wasn't trying to intentionally lowball people. He just thought if we can get it as cheap as possible, do it. And I mean, that, that's one thing about the tech startup space. You have a lot of people who are really good at one thing who suddenly become a CEO and now they have to make CEO level decisions. And, and the one thing I told him was, okay, for, for this, especially if the scale of which which we're growing and the amount of liabilities that are going to come with all of that. Do you want someone who's only giving you $40,000 work right now? Bingo. And yep. he was like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, what's the difference between 40,000, 70,000 for this role? How much enthusiasm do you want them to have and how much risk and responsibility do you want them to take in that? So eventually the person we did hire was, was probably in the, in the middle salary range for that, uh, probably around like uh, 57, 60 or so. But, you know, he felt way more confident and that person did a lot more work. I'm not going to say that they would have slacked if we had gotten them for 40, but, you know, that, that does make a difference. And they feel more like they have to prove their worth in that case. And when you can give an employee a chance like that, especially starting out for that starting salary, it's only going to pay off dividends in the long run. Yep. It's the difference between being cheap and being frugal. Being frugal means you watch your your pennies and you pay for quality items, but you may not pay for the top of the line. But cheap means you go bottom basement and then you rebuy because those things don't last as long and you end up spending more money in the long term. So those managers who say, try to get this person down as, as far as you can in terms of salary, Quite frankly, that's very, very short-sighted because you might find somebody, a rock star, right, that maybe does $65,000 a year work at a $40,000 a year salary. Great. That's $25,000 that you don't have to spend. But guess what? That might work for a month or two or three or maybe even six months. But that employee is not dumb. They're going to figure out that they're being underpaid. And their motivation to come into the office and do good work, that's going to, going to continually go down. They're going to look for other jobs. And that turnover is what's going to cost that company money. So in the end, when they rehire somebody else to fill that same spot that they thought they were getting a good deal from, guess what? It's going to cost them more money in the long term. Mm-hmm. So yes, you are exactly right. If you pay a little bit more to make sure that your employees are happy and motivated and determined when they come into work. In the long run, that's going to save you a lot of money because you're going to have less turnover and your employees are, quite frankly, just going to do better work. Stephen, I bet I have a thousand more questions. We'll have to have you back on again. I found this incredibly insightful. Before we wrap up, any final thoughts for people thinking, you know, I'm in a maybe okay position now, but I I think I can take that next step in, you know, transitioning to another company or negotiating to basically remind people of my own value that I'm actually providing. I'm a big believer in getting out out of your comfort zone. And even if you're on on the fence, just start looking, figure out what's out there and maybe go on a couple interviews. That doesn't mean you have to take a job if, if if somebody offers you one, but at the very least, at the very least, you're getting practice interviewing. You're really getting a good idea of what's available out there, what companies are looking for. So you can shore up some of the, some of the skills that you may not be 
good at. I mean, all those things really go into play with making yourself a more valuable employee in the future. So if you're on the fence, or even if you think, even if you're happy with where you are, you cannot possibly fathom moving somewhere somewhere else, I would still really encourage you just take take a few minutes at, at, at the end of the at the end of the day and just go on some job boards and just see what's out there. You might be surprised at somebody who's working your exact salary from home and they're making 15, 20% more than you are. That happens all the time and you'll never know about it unless you just start looking. There is literally no downside to at least knowing what's available out there. And then from that point, you can make an, make an educated decision based on your level of happiness and your future goals in your career, whether to pursue uh, some of those opportunities or not. Sir, greatly appreciate your time. If people want to follow you online and see everything you've got going on, how could they do so? I am very active on Twitter. Uh, my my handle is Steve on Speed. The on Speed part came when I drove a Corvette back in the day, so that's where. Okay, that because comes being into on play. Speed has a different connotation in some circles. Very true. Very true. <laughs> no judgment. Really, I'm just saying. <laughs> I really should have changed that early on. I really, really should have changed that, but now it's too late. <laughs> but yeah, Steve on Speed on Twitter. SteveAdcock.us is my is my website. Those are the two areas um, that you can find me and follow me on. But thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It was a pleasure speaking to you, folks. I'll go ahead and make it easy for you. I'll go ahead and include the links to his Twitter and his website in the show notes. That way you can go ahead and jump over right after the show. As always, please go ahead and do me a quick favor. It costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Google Play, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show. On Al Gore's amazing internet, please just go ahead and leave that five-star rating and review. It lets people know that you're enjoying this conversation, you're getting value from it, and hopefully you can find a little bit of value back. I'm Remso W. Martinez. As always, be safe, be good, good night. Good night.